you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. And there came a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, the roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Hit the call then, for now, the Avengers assemble! is the epic marvel podcast and this is avengers volume 16 under siege covering a period of avengers from 1986 to 1987 i am your host curtis finley and i'm the avengers co-host tommy albarello thanks tommy for that opening that was that's really great i usually skim or, or or just don't even read that part but there's a there's a little blurb like that at the beginning of all Marvel comics through like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think it's because, uh, yeah, in, in every book, not just in Avengers. And it's great. Yes. That's such a strong opening. Yeah, because I think by the 80s, they started, uh, they, they began to remove this, uh, this, this blurb at the uh, beginning of every issue. Not really in the beginning, but around 85, 86, they, st- they uh, removed the, this text. Yeah, and I know, that, um, I know that some of them had them through the 90s because I remember that Spider-Man did. Um, maybe it was just uh, depended on um, certain, certain editors or something like that. But, but that's, uh, yeah, you read that and it's like, this is Stan Lee talking. Like, this is, this is great. And man, the news that we got yesterday about Stan Lee's death. I think for all of us Marvel fans, it really hits us hard, right? Yeah, it's going to be cold to say that, but we expected him to not have too many days to live because yeah. he was already ill and his wife passed away some months months ago, I think. Yes, that's right. He was in a, a, a very fragile and the rumors that he has been mistreated that began spreading online, so he, we started to get very concerned about his health. And you could just tell from the last few videos that he released, that he put up on Twitter or on Facebook and such, it's like he's just tired, he's old, he's exhausted, he doesn't have much left, and sometimes he just he doesn't even know what's going on around him, like his memory's going a little bit, and yeah, just... Everything that that you just said about his current situation or his current situation as of a couple days ago, I think we're all relieved. 95 is a is a great long life lived and he sure accomplished a lot and uh and I think we're all happy that he's found some peace now that he doesn't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. Wow, and I've been talking of a lot about Stanley's comics in the last few episodes of the podcast because we've been covering like early Spider-Man and what else was there? Early Hulk, early Thor. So it's, it's nice to uh, take a break from that with you with this volume of Avengers because we are talking about Roger Stern's run. This is leading up to the end of his run. Yeah. With uh, John Buscema on the artwork. So we've already talked about the volume that comes after this called Judgment Day. 
this episode comes out before that one. So if you're listening in the order that the podcasts are re- released, a little bit of a mix up there. But if you're listening to them in the order of, that the volumes of the like in order of the episode number, then uh, yeah, we're going to go straight through this. We'll, we won't spoil things for the next volume in case you haven't read that yet. Uh, we'll just uh, we'll just talk about these issues in particular. And Tommy, do you know what issues are covered in this that we're covering in this episode? Yeah, so in this uh, epic collection, we have Avengers number 264 to 277, also Alpha Flight number 39, Avengers Annual 15, and West Coast Avengers Annual number 1, the first annual for this uh, new series. Yeah. And what are some of the things that you need to know before jumping into this book? Uh, well, many things, because, but mainly John Buscema started drawing since issue number 255. And for me, when he starts uh, drawing uh, the series, the stories get significantly better. Yeah. And also, uh, of course, as I've just said, uh, Avengers West Coast is a new series. So the series has just been created. Uh, just uh, long story short, uh, Vision ordered when he was in coma during the Absolute Vision story arc in order for the Avengers to be more effective, to split the, the team into, I mean, to create a second team of Avengers. So also... Uh, about some uh, members, uh, Star Fox left the team he, because he had to take care of Nebula. Uh, the issues just before the, this epic collection. Uh, Hercules joined the team uh, also some issues ago, but uh, no more also Submariner. But no more is not an official member of the Avengers right now. And the Avengers, they have a new base. It's called the Hydro Base because the government suspended the clearance for flight since Vision uh, had some plans of world control and the government didn't take that well. Secret War 2 was happening at the time. And we'll talk about it later, but one of the issues of these epic collections is an epilogue of uh, Secret War 2. And finally, Savage Land was destroyed uh, some issues ago in Avengers number 257. Uh, okay, so if we take a look at the other series in Captain America, uh, Mark Grenroll's run has just begun. I think you've covered the, the these issues in uh, another episode, Curtis. Yep, that one's called yeah. uh, Society of Serpents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about Iron Man, we have just uh, we're in the middle of the Denny O'Neill's run because we we're gonna see in the West Coast Avengers annual that Iron Man already has his silver armor, the silver centurion armor. Yep. About Thor, we are in the middle of Walter Simonson's run. Uh, we don't see Thor in the much in these issues of Avengers because he's really really busy with Asgard, because Odin has just died while fighting Surtur. You can also say that um, Hank and Jan have divorced, and they're on different teams. Jan is on the Avengers, and Hank has given up being Ant-Man or Giant-Man. He's just Hank Pym, and he's on the West Coast Avengers, helping out with those guys over there. And as I was going to say, and Wasp is the current uh, Avengers team leader since the beginning of uh, Roger Stern's run. Yeah, yeah, and that plays an interesting role throughout this book here. And then also Atuma is in control of Atlantis, 
and that's that story is told in the Submariner limited series. Uh, and that's sort of why Namor is with the Avengers. He's kind of a, <laughs> pun intended, a fish out of water right now. Um, and also the Avengers, the, the Baxter building has been destroyed, and so the FF are kind of bunking with the Avengers, so they pop up from here to there. That's just a minor plot point. But yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in the Marvel Universe right now. Did we yeah. miss anything? Uh, no, and also uh, we are going to see in the covers, but it's uh, at the time it's Marvel's 25th anniversary. Right. Well, let's let's go on to the next segment of our show here, where we talk about the Twitter poll. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, this one is <laughs> an interesting question here. I, um, it's very simple. I asked, "What is your favorite storyline in this epic collection?" I didn't see the the Twitter poll. I'm really sorry. That's okay. Not many people did. It got only 15 votes. The question was in the Avengers epic collection under siege, which is your favorite storyline? And my four options were. Secret Wars tie-ins, Once in Future Kang, Invasion of Atlantis, or Under Siege. And, of course, 100% of the votes went to Under Siege. No surprise there. (laughs) No surprise. (laughs) Not at all. I might be tempted to vote for Once in Future Kang as my favorite, because that story, I absolutely loved that story in this book. But I think just the sheer brutality of under siege makes that one kind of come out on top yeah same here uh, uh, under siege storyline is a no-brainer for me but i will also vote for the uh, one cent future king and over on facebook i asked a question uh just give you yeah i asked just to for people to give their thoughts and comments on this epic collection here we got a lot of response everybody pretty much says the yes. same thing so Jason says, probably my all-time favorite Avengers stories, and the Stern Buscema Palmer time on the title is one of the most overlooked runs in Marvel history. Uh, the Namor Hercules dynamic is something I wish other creative teams would have continued. So just a little thing. Uh, I also agree that the uh, the Namor and Hercules uh, dynamic is really great. It's so great, and we have seen some of it two issues ago in issue 262 when Nemor first uh, get invited to join the team and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, so we have Ben that says that Kurt Busiek takes the amazing concept of Under Siege and seamlessly weaves it into his Thunderbolts tapestry and also his later Avengers run. So he asked us if he, any of us uh, have read Thunderbolts of us or other readers have written their books if it did change our view of the story and so how so he asked us to discuss uh, the influence of under siege uh, on thunderbolts and he thanks us for the great show and and that it helps him kill the long tedious days of their delivering the bill and also <laughs> he he loves uh, he's a great fan of roger stern because he says he's it's one of the best uh, writers uh, the Avengers ever had, and the, uh, Under Siege is the best story Roger Stern did. Yep, that's definitely right up there. I mean, I haven't read all of Avengers, so I can't say if he's the best, but he certainly is fantastic in this book. Yeah. So, have you read Thunderbolts? 
Unfortunately not, but it's in the to-read to list. It's <laughs> sitting in a pile waiting uh, along with many other series. And also, I have yet to read uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez's run on Avengers. So I, yeah, I mean, I haven't read Busiek's Avengers either, but I, uh, I have read Thunderbolts. I, I followed that title when it first came out for about 25 or so issues. And then I can't remember my job changed or something. I cut back on the amount of comics I was buying because I was buying a lot at that time. Um, but yeah, this is kind of where that whole concept of the Thunderbolts begins. And I didn't realize that until I was reading these books. I'm like, yeah, these are all of the characters from the Thunderbolts that, that Zemo's gathering together right now. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. I don't think it colored my view of this story. I still saw these villains as villains, but it was just kind of a... I did make a mental note of, of that fact, though, yeah. Same for me. I haven't linked the this storyline under Siege to Thunderbolts. And it, it's a shame for me that I have spoiled myself with the ending of the, the first issue of Thunderbolts when, the, let's say, the characters reveal who they really are. Right. But, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's, it's such a, like, that was 20 years ago, right? So yeah. it's, it's not a big secret anymore. I mean, that kind of was the basis of the, the series. So. Yeah, but I, I think it's best if the readers uh, get to experience the, the ending of the first issue for themselves. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Kemi says that this was the first epic he ever read, and it might be one of his least favorite. He says, other than the undersea story, I found the rest of the issues extremely weak and verbose. That uh, I can agree with part of that. I wasn't a huge fan of the annuals, for instance. Um, but like I said, the Kang story is fantastic. And yeah, the, the Secret Wars tie-ins, yeah, they kind of... Uh, have their place in the story it's secret worst tie-in story but other than that yeah not much to to go on there i'm going to discuss the secret wars two times at the right time but yeah i it felt very forced uh, as times and also the about the, the atlantis story arc i really didn't like it much it's okay but it reminds me of the the, the Gary Conway short run in the uh, final trait epic collection that coincidentally it's, it deals with uh, At Atuma. It always does. And I might have said this in that episode. I don't remember. But uh, whenever the Atlanteans uh, pop up, I kind of my mind just kind of goes blank and I kind of find myself skimming over these issues because I just don't care about the Atlanteans at all. Oh man, if the if the Submariner epic collections start coming out and I start doing episodes on those ones, I think I'm going to have a rough time with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll pick the comment from our fellow co-hosts uh, on the Epic Collection podcast, uh, Frank. And he says he, uh, that Under Siege is a classic story and uh, the violence of sadism still surprises him to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of Stern's run on Avengers is brilliant, but this particular story is something entirely different. It will be great to hear from Mr. Stern on this. And it's a great, it's going to, he says it's going to be a great episode. Yeah, so I should note that I do not have an interview with Roger Stern yet. I'm trying to track him down and eventually i will i will be successful sooner or later hopefully <laughs> but yeah not for this one 
I hope he doesn't try to avoid you as uh, Rob Liefeld did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I still never got word from, from Rob. Maybe I should try again now that the Deadpool movie's worn off. But, yeah, I would love to talk to Rob. I think that would be a great interview. He's such a fun guy. Okay, Josh says, Wow, I literally just decided to read Under Siege in floppy form this past weekend, and man, it was a great one. It was really cool to see a team of B and C list villains team up and pose a pretty potential threat to the Avengers. And uh, he gives some spoilers, so I'll skip over that and just say, uh, yeah, the rest of them some spoilers. So in case you're reading these along with the episode, I don't want to go any further than that. So let's see. Eric says... The Undersea storyline is probably my favorite Roger Stern story. It goes to some pretty dark places, but I like that it doesn't pull its punches and the consequences stick around for some time. It truly feels like the Avengers are broken. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to do a two-on-one. First, Billy says it's an excellent story by, by Stern, by Roger Stern. Yep. Uh, and also, we have Timothy that says that uh, it's a great story that had a repercussion for years and Thunderbolts really began here and Hercules has dealt with the aftermath for years it was great to see villains fighting heroes as the main story as opposed to being a footnote in heroes fighting heroes we see more often since the Civil War series yeah that's very true like Avengers versus X-Men and all this kind of stuff it's like yeah we we don't need let's get the heroes being heroes it's fun to, yeah. to kind of explore the, the, the moral gray areas that heroes kind of take sides on every once in a while. But I like just the classic, a little yeah. bit more black and white hero and stuff. And it's in, I'm thinking about it just right now. And it's incredible as uh, Mark Wade and Alex Ross dove of this all the way in uh, 1996 uh, in Kingdom Come when they see the, the heroes are uh, bored fighting villains so they start beating up each other <laughs> right exactly uh, last comment I think this is the last one Chad Russell says I need to grab this epic but I remember the issues very fondly this run had some heavy avenging and really woke up my young eyes to Marvel taking the team to a new next level place Thinking about it now and what was going on in comics at the time, this story arc and the aftermath felt like the Dark Knight slash Watchmen period for the Avengers to be stripped down and get back to basics without being sold as a new dark gritty take on the team, which soon enough nearly every title would go through for the next decade. Yeah, we had uh, a quite a step up in violence because I've just grabbed the Legacy of Thanos collection and I've read it hastily yesterday. So, so uh, but when uh, Terminus attacks the Savage Lands, you, you see it's this, it's happens for some some uh, in part on panel and on part of panel but it described that the, when he blasts his way through savage land many people die without having time to scream so yeah we have quite an increase in violence yeah but it's one thing for like a city to be wiped out and have the the mass murder on that sort of scale it's so foreign Whereas in this one, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the, like the stuff that happens with Jarvis just seems so yeah. much more brutal because it's way more personal um, and intentional one-on-one kind of um, that, that level of violence I think is a lot different than the, the abstract concept of mass genocide. 
I know that sounds awful to say, but it's that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, a lot more uh, down to earth uh, to put it in perspective. Okay, let's go on to our issues and start talking about uh, the book. So, we start off the book with Avengers number 264. Uh, This one is called Stings and Sorrows. And uh, here's a brief recap for you. After experimenting with her powers, Wasp discovers someone has stolen a bunch of Hank Pym's technology. This was a a sort of a one-and-done issue. And I didn't think yeah. it was going to have any real repercussions or anything, but then this character comes back later. So it's you don't really even know anything about about this character except that uh, she is now kind of the new Yellow Jacket. She has a thing for machines and uh, has stolen all of Hank Pym's um, weapons and and costume and stuff, and is now going to be Yellow Jacket. Yeah, and she she seems to appear uh, from out uh, out of nowhere because they I don't think they even say her name what her name is. No, I don't think they do. And what's funny is when the girl steals uh, Yellow Jacket's costume, you see the costume floating around the mansion, and it's kind of funny to see. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there are some really nice nice moments in here. Um, <laughs> how it kind of it evades all of the the people who are playing runs behind Jarvis and Franklin and all that kind of stuff yeah I liked this uh, this was just a fun way to start it was we know that this thing is going to build to an extreme climax so it was nice to kind of start out small Namor is here there's a nice moment with him and Susan Richards because he's always trying to win her heart but he's kind of working past that because now she has a kid and everything like that too and she's like I said they're living with the Avengers at the moment and uh, we can see that the neighbor here is much more cool-headed than how we see him uh, usually. Because he's always the, the angry guy, ready to attack, and now he's much more reflective and thinks, puts things in perspective. Yeah, he's unsure about his place um, just in society and, and on the Avengers. And I think that that's just because of what he's gone through, losing his his uh, royal status to Atuma, he's just questioning himself. And so, yeah, he's usually hot-headed and brash, but that's because he's in charge and he is the leader and everyone had to do what he he says. But now that that's not the case, he has to look inside himself and figure out what that means. And so, yeah, he is a lot more reserved here. He has his moments through this book, but he is a a different Namor because he's going through some stuff, some personal stuff. Yeah. Okay, so then we proceed to next issue. It's Avengers number 265, and it's called Eve of Destruction, and it's a Secret War 2 tie-in. Yep. And uh, we're going to see that from now on, every uh, issue title has an, an exclamation mark. <laughs> <It> looks <laughs> yeah. like... Looks like uh, Roger Stern likes them, so yeah. Uh, at the end of Secret Wars 2, we have uh, the first issue, I think they recap later in the story. So in at the end of Secret Wars 2, the Avengers are thrown away by the Beyonder, except Cap, because Beyonder keeps Cap, Captain America for him. So the Avengers fall down to, to a farm. And then, after recovering, they start to look for Captain America. 
And meanwhile, we see that the Captain America is observing the Beyonder, and he he sees that even though he's omnipotent, he has a human body and he needs to sleep. It's strange, but okay, it's comics for you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, Captain America tries to attack the Beyonder, but Beyonder sees him. Uh, meanwhile, the Avengers uh, manage to locate both of them. There is a fight, and then Beyonder says he has enough, and he proceeds to try and destroy everything. Uh, okay, so uh, we see uh, more of the Hercules and Namor dynamics because they start to fight uh, <laughs> between themselves uh, before Captain Marvel interrupts them. One of my favorite lines is uh, when uh, when they are helping each other lift the ship out of the water <laughs> and uh hercules thinks to himself he says allow me to assist you and then he thinks to himself you see slug and then namor says thank you and then he thinks may your beard grow inward <laughs> <laughs> yep i love it great insult um yeah and so in the society of serpents captain america episode that we did um there's a secret wars tie-in issue in that one as well and in that one, the only thing that happened was that uh, Captain America was fighting the armadillo and the Beyonder was in the background watching in every, almost every panel. And that was it. He, he followed Captain America through the entire issue. And at the very end, he creates himself a body. And you have no idea what that means. You don't know the context or anything like that. The book, if you just read that book, you have no idea. But then it, when reading this issue, you find out the answer to that question he's created a body for himself because he wants to experience being a human and he's based his body on Captain America's body because he feels like that one's the peak specimen that uh, will, you know, be the, the proper vessel for him. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do just a bit of off topic about Secret Wars 2 because for me, I've read Secret Wars 2 and when you read the limited series, and see what is the connection to the the tie-ins for other series. Looks like, sorry, Mr. Shooter, but it looks like Jim Shooter rolls a, a, a roulette. Then he proceeds to see, okay, stop. This series is going to have a tie-in right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, roll again and up, oh, stop. This one series is going to have uh, another tie-in. So it just feels like that. Really? But Secret Rust 2. Uh, it begins okay. Uh, there are some funny things with the Beyonder uh, trying to feel, experience what it's like to be a human, and then it ends very, very what the hell because uh, <laughs> it ends really, really bad. So yeah, and about the Secret Wars two tie-in during Crisis on Infinite Earth uh, DC, they had a, an expression for this kinds of tie-in. They called the Red Skies crossover because in some tie-ins and uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, the cover of the issue is labeled the issue is labeled as part of Crisis on Infinite Earths. But all you see during the the issue is the character looking at the sky and he says, "Oh, the sky is red." That's why they call the the Red Skies crossover. Yes, I feel like that's some of the Inferno crossovers are like that for Marvel as well. But this this crossover actually feels like it's part of the story. Like some pretty significant things happen in here that it's like I would actually put this issue in a collection, um, a Secret Wars 2 collection. 
Uh, whereas that Captain America issue number 308, I, I, it, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And so uh, just a, a final note about this issue. But if you read Secret Wars, you'll see it too. When you look at Beyonder, it looks like he, it's David Hasselhoff uh, yes. dressed as uh, uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson in Captain EO. Oh, man, you're right. Uh, that's so funny. It really is David Hasselhoff. That's so that's perfect. One minor note, and then we can move on here. Her Hercules doesn't, he rejects the help of the X-Men in this one. The X-Men say that they want to help, but he says he doesn't want their help because Magneto was the leader. Because Magneto is the leader of the X-Men at the time, and um, you'll be able to hear more of that story and that conversation in the next episode, Judgment Day, because we tackle the X-Men versus Avengers miniseries. Uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, moving on to number 266. This is... Oh, sorry, before we go on to 266, in this epic collection, there is a full page of text to tell ah. what happens in Secret Wars 2, number 9. The previous issue, number uh, Avengers 265, is concluded in Secret Wars 2, number 9, but they don't put that in this volume here. So, it lets you know what goes on, and then we move into 266, which is a special epilogue to Secret Wars number two. It's called And the War's Desolation. Uh, and in this one, the Avengers look for the Molecule Man because he's the only person on Earth who can recreate the Rockies who have, I guess, the Rocky Mountains have split and there's like bubbling lava and that's going to come up and like become volcanoes and destroy the world. It's like this big thing that the Beyonder has done. Only the Molecule Man has the power to put everything back together. Um, and boy, the, the I can't I just can't get over every time I see the Molecule Man how powerful this guy is. Yeah, as uh, uh, Norman Osborn uh, as seen in during the uh, Dark Avengers when he was helpless <laughs> trying to to fight the Molecule Man. Yeah, and, and if it weren't for the fact that Molecule Man himself is not necessarily an evil guy like he would destroy the world he could he could easily take over but uh he he's such an interesting character his stories that are played through through both of the secret war stories and then later on in uh Engelhart's fantastic four and yeah he's a really fascinating character and i love all the stuff between him and his girlfriend uh, what's her what's her name? Is it Volcana? Volcana, yeah, Volcana. Yeah, she's a little bit of a villain herself, but is kind of Molecule Man's moral compass, keeps him from going off the rails. And but then if he gets hurt or whatever, she goes off the rails. So it's, it's a very, uh, very weird relationship between the two. But yeah, Owen Reese, that's Molecule Man. He's a good character. And uh, just a small note that uh, he was brought back the, in the final issues of uh, Jim Shooter's second run on Avengers. I think something about 220, 25, uh, 23, I don't remember really well. But yeah, he was brought back and then he decided, uh, he decided to become uh, somewhat uh, a good guy. And he surrendered himself to the police, and then he had the adventures in Secret Wars 1, and now he's back for Secret Wars 2. Uh, okay, so I love the ending to this, where the surfer is insp inspired by Molecule Man's courage at the end, and allows his power cosmic to, to, 
to uh, be channeled kind of through the molecule man to to fix things yeah because at first silver surfer tries by himself to to heal the mountains but he's not powerful in uh, powerful enough and then after that they work together with uh, molecule man to fix everything and then molecule man makes everyone think that he's lost his powers and uh, he's going to just live a normal life now. He has no more powers. And, but then he really is, is revealed a little bit later that he actually still does have his powers. And Silver Surfer knows this, but he's going to keep that a secret. So it's a nice, it's a nice end to his story. And if, if only you know, comic books could leave these characters alone, that would be nice. But <laughs> nope, he's going to get sucked back into it. Okay, so we begin the next issue, number 267, and it's called Time and Time Again. Strange, because you see that Storm is with the Avengers, and how come has it happened? Uh, you see that the American president, uh, Ronald Reagan, is going to do a special announcement to introduce Colossus to the Avengers. And then we see Iron Man appear with a special box, and suddenly Tony Stark rushes to tell everybody that it's dangerous and have a huge explosion. This was such an amazing opening. Yeah. <laughs> and you see everybody's dead, but then uh, it's all a part of a plan by Kang, and we are then introduced to the Council of Kangs. Is this the first time we see the Council of Kangs? Yeah, it's the first time. Okay. So, meanwhile, there are protests for and against Namor joining the Avengers back at the mansion. So, yeah, it was uh, an alternate reality. So, don't readers, don't be afraid. Uh, it's not uh, an age of apocalypse. So, okay, <laughs> so, there are protests for and against Namor joining the Avengers. And Wasp is happy to learn that Paladin is back in town because away, she had uh, an affair with him at the beginning of Roger Stern's run. And meanwhile, we see that Black Knight is working uh, by digging a tunnel that will link the Avengers mansion to Hydro Base. Then all of a sudden, we see that Black Knight, Wasp and Hercules are transported to Limbo. So they just disappear. Yeah, so this is a, a great start. Now, <laughs> the brilliant plan that Kane, uh, that Kang has is that he wants to take over all of the other Kang's empires because he, I guess he's found out that every time he goes back in time, it creates a divergent reality. And so he's gone back to, in time so many times that now there are hundreds and hundreds of divergent realities, all that have a different Kang in them. So he's now going and killing every single other Kang so that he'll be the only Kang and he can rule all of the different realities. I think it's just, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And also, uh, we see that Colossus is joining the Avengers. Well, remember, it's the 80s, so the Cold War is still in full effect. Right. But I think uh, I made a small, a quick research because I, I, I thought that Justice League International did it first by making uh, Rocket Red uh, a Russian super soldier. Not really a super soldier, but think of him as a Russian Iron Man, making him join the Justice League. But the Avengers proposed the idea, idea first by suggesting Colossus joining the Avengers, but of course, it never happens in the series. Um, nowadays, there's a little bit of something that's uh, 
I mean, I guess this was a few years ago, but the Uncanny Avengers saw the Avengers and X-Men kind of form a team together. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Okay. Ah, just a final note that I've just seen. We see that uh, Captain Marvel uh, has a new hairdo. That even Captain America uh, compliments her uh, about it. Yeah, she, she has an interesting story here. Um, we're still at the point, uh, and I find this fascinating, we're still at the point where the Avengers don't need to reveal their secret identities to each other. They are they are a team, but they are allowed to keep their, their other life completely separate. But um, Captain Marvel is trying to figure out if she should open up and trust the other Avengers. And so she does open up to Captain America. And uh, yeah. is it in this issue that she tells Captain America who she, what her real identity is? Uh, yeah, it's in this issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in this issue. And so, but then she doesn't want to do that to Namor. She doesn't quite trust him or know it much about him. So I like the the stuff that she goes through just on that personal level through this issue. Oh, we and we also get cameos of um, a bunch of the original um, Avengers, Giant Man and the Hulk. Um, like the old old version of the Hulk and uh, Iron Man in his gold armor because they, they, they meet these guys in an apparition. They, they travel back in time, the events that immediately come after Avengers number two. So this is a time travel issue. Ha. And when time travel is involved, everything gets complicated. Yep, that's for sure. Okay, we can move on to the next one. Yeah, and it is uh, this is Avengers number two sixty eight. It's called the Kang Dynasty. The, the half of the team is in limbo right now. They've been teleported yeah. there, and then the other half of the team is on the is back at the mansion trying to figure out how to get back to the other team. And uh, while in limbo, the Avengers meet the Dire Wraiths, and the Dire Wraiths are are creatures from the Rom series. And it's it always amazes me how tightly integrated into the Marvel Universe the ROM series is, even though that was a licensed character. But the, the Dire Race are original Marvel creations, and so they are here, and we get to see them fight. And uh, this was a good issue, too. There's a lot going on, like um, it, uh, a crowd is forming outside that's protesting uh, the inclusion of Namor into the Avengers because they don't think he's a hero. Captain America and Submariner and and Captain Marvel are building a time platform and the other Avengers find the Citadel with one of the Divergent Kangs in it. And uh, yeah, this starts to get really confusing because uh, we're talking about all these different Kangs. So um, this is the, the issue before it all kind of ramp, ramps up to, to, being, to being just full-on crazy time travel mode. Yeah, but it, it's, uh, it's impressive to see... Uh, yeah, as you said, the 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 Rome series it appears in the other series because at the same time the Dark Rates uh, appeared in the X Men series, not really the same time, uh, a, a little months of yeah, little months ago, the when Storm lost her powers, and uh, we have an. Uh, rogue fighting some their rates too who were trying to usurp the identities of uh, uh, of important people in the government right uh captain america calms down namor in this one on page 118 um i, I love this scene 
because uh, Namor is getting really, really frustrated with uh, this work on the time platform. It's not going the way he wants. There's, they don't have enough information. And Captain America just kind of puts his hand on his shoulder and says, I know it's frustrating, uh, but we won't help them by losing our heads. And Namor just says, yes, yes, you are right, Captain. And you spoke about Namor being much more level-headed and calm in this book. And you can see yeah. right, right there. Like, he would never um, submit to Captain America quite like that. It was very, uh, uh, quite amazing and a nice scene. And it's definitely noticed by both um, Jarvis and Captain Marvel that that happens. So it gives them hope that Namor can actually be a, a valuable part of the team. And we get one cameo appearance from the Space Phantom, who is the villain from Avengers number two. Um, just a one-time thing. He appears in three, four panels and then and then dies. And so we never see him again. <laughs> So next issue is called The Once and Future Kang. So at the end of last issue, everybody has been captured by Kang. So uh, Kang explains to everybody in a typical villain uh, manner uh, how he tells everybody his story and how he got there. And meanwhile, we see that Hercules is getting more and more angry uh, so that he's able to weaken the, the paralysis beam. And with the help of uh, Kang's lover, who is called Ravonna, they manage to get free and we have a big fight. Uh, during this fight, one of the Kangs uh, dies because his gun was booby-trapped. So, and at the end, we see Immortals appear. And Immortals is an older version of Kang and uh, someone more at peace in his mind. So... Uh, Kang takes the Immortals gives uh, Kang a strange glowing orb, and I, taking a look at this orb, Kang gets uh, shocked and crazy, and he runs away because they explain that the, this globe gives the memory of all the Kangs that have been killed until now. Yeah, it overwhelms his mind. Uh, I I love this issue, and normally I um I don't like the issues where it's just like there's so much recap and and kind of telling us where this fits in with backstory. But because this is time travel, and because Kang, they sort of retconned the fact that Ramatut, Immortus, and Kang are all the same person. They're just divergent storylines or different versions of, of him. Um, this issue w was used, like Roger Stern used this storyline to bring that all together and tie all of these time travel stories um, in, into one story and it's quite remarkable and it's, it's really fun and it's uh, it's clever especially if you know the history of these characters um, and then just the tragedy knowing the tragedy of Ravona as well is uh, you feel for Kang he, he's yeah. trying to do things for the for for love which seems to be an honorable thing to do but uh, but he can't do it. I've reread also during the weekend Avengers Forever, the limited series yep. by Kurt Busiek, because I I, rec um, I recall that there's something about time travel in this limit in this limited series. So I reread it during the weekend, and we have uh, an issue dedicated exclusively to Kang and his story. So it's Avengers Forever number nine, and it's called Reflections of the Conqueror, and even as they state, uh, they state in the name of the issue is a break 
from the limited series. So we learn all his story and everything that he explained in this issue of Avengers, in, in issue uh, number 269, it's also explained in Avengers Forever number 9. And about the Space Phantoms, we learn in Avengers Forever that there are many more of them. It's not just the one that has been killed. It's, he's not the only one. So there is a civilization of them. Avengers Forever, think of it as, think of it as the crisis on infinite Earths, but only for the Avengers, because many things get uh, retconned, many things are explained, and... Uh, there is also a character that appeared later, uh, way later than when Avengers Forever was published. It's Iron Lad from Young Avengers. And but when you read uh, Young Avengers, you learn that Iron Lad is also a version of Kang. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting to me that in the Secret Wars tie-in, uh, storyline all the Avengers get together and then all they can do is stand around and watch they don't really none of them really do anything because they can't uh, Molecule Man has to do everything and in this story all of the Avengers get together and then in the climax they don't do anything they just stand around and Mortis and, and Kang they kind of take each other out and stuff but they don't do anything Avengers are quite useless and then I love yeah. the kind of the moral quandary at the very end where Immortus makes the Avengers believe that he's a bad guy. He says, now the Aven uh, Ravona says, now the Avengers will never trust you because he dismissed them so imperiously. Uh, and then Immortus says, I could never hope to win their trust, Ravona, nor would I want it. Heroes must always be wary of beings as powerful as I. Far better I be, a th be thought a villain than a world lose the effectiveness of the mighty Avengers. Great, a great ending there. Yeah, and that's it. You know, this story—if it were told in modern day—it would have, it would go through all of the Avengers titles, and it would take six months to tell. But we tell this whole story in two issues, three issues. Sorry, three issues. Same for many uh, stories that happen in one or two issues, and today it will feel a trade of six, six to eight issues. It would. Yep. Well, why don't we move on to our next section in this yeah. uh, in this book here, starting the right. Atlantis story. Yeah, so this is issue yeah. number 270. It's called Wild in the Streets. And before we start, I just want to look at this splash page by John Buscema. He's such a solid, solid artist. And he always said that he preferred doing stories like like Conan because he didn't have to draw buildings. He just loved the rough terrain <laughs> and that kind of thing. But... Just look at this one with the horses and the people. Like he's just so good at realism and the and the and everything. Like there's so much detail in here in the horses, the leather jackets, the the trees, the buildings. So in this in this issue, the protesters that have been uh, mentioned in the previous issues are still gathering in front of the mansion, and Namor uh, has to kind of prove himself a hero. This is the moment when the people get to see Namor in action because. Uh, Moonstone is in the crowd and tries to sabotage uh, the events by taking down a helicopter, but Namor flies to the rescue, prevents the helicopter from crashing in a heavily populated area, and saves the people in the helicopter as well. Uh, that changes kind of public opinion about him, uh, but then they have to go and find Moonstone. So that's something that the Wasp has to tries to tries to do, and everybody pitches in and, and uh, takes down Moonstone. But what is she really up to? We don't really know that right now. Uh, so she's taken to jail, but then the people 
who are taking her away in the paddy wagon happen to be Absorbing Man and Titania. There's something yeah. bigger going on here. <laughs> so we have the first seeds of the Under Siege story arc yep. appearing. Okay. And also we see the the first the beginning of the tension between Hercules and the Wasp because he, he starts to protest when she gives him orders. Yeah, he doesn't like taking orders from Wasp, and we later find out that he doesn't like it because she's a woman. He's very old school in his way of thinking. He thinks that he would be a better, um, you know, the woman woman's place is whatever. I don't even know what he views a woman should be doing, but it's not leading. Yeah. Uh, some more comments on John Buscema's artwork. I love on page 161, the red panels when the mob outside is really getting kind of violent and they start throwing things. It's all done. These three panels are done in shades of red. It's like you're you're so angry you see red. You know that expression? And uh, and then in the, pa- the bottom panel on that page, the two police officers are in blue um, and then all of the mob in behind is red. And it really, really makes them stand out because red and blue are not complementary colors. So they really pop against each other, which really shows you there's the police versus the mob. It's kind of just a it's a psychological thing using the colors. And I, I really like it. Yeah, that's a great, great observation because I, I didn't really notice it at first. But yeah, now that you see it. Yeah, and also he he works great with the expression on the the people's faces. Oh yeah. So yeah. He's really great at angry faces. Uh, in this issue, also, um, Namor leaves the story for a little while, and he goes over to he goes over to Alpha Flight. Yeah. He's kind of an odd character. Just uh, kind of he's kind of in here and out there. Um, I don't know why they decided to t- continue the story in Alpha Flight. Maybe they needed to boost some sales. So they figured, you know, people who are reading Avengers will want to know what happened to Namor, so we'll make them buy some Alpha Flight issues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One thing I noticed is uh, there's a couple shown. Uh, sorry, here I have a flop. It's page 18. But uh, it's just when uh, Namor is holding the helicopter pilot. Yeah, when we uh, at the bottom left parts of the page, we see a couple appearing holding a sign, and I don't know if it's a cameo from people who work at Marvel, but uh, I think it's strange that it appear just uh, there. They are very specific looking, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know. Is that what Roger Stern looked like at that time? Mm, I don't think so, don't think so because I don't know. No, yeah, sorry, I don't know. So people. Who are going to comment later if we if can enlighten us <laughs> yeah that would be interesting but they are yeah they are so in the focus of that panel and very specifically drawn with the beard and such that you have to wonder about that so next issue is called uh, the breakaway so wasp is not happy to learn that namor has left the team so we have more tensions between her and hercules and we are uh, how and another another showcase of the, the the work of John Buscema on the expressions uh, in the, the faces when you see Hercules get more and more angry at Wasp. Black Knight is running some tests on Captain Marvel, and he suggests her to turn into uh, special particles called the neutrinos. So it's going to be very very useful for her later. But more on that. 
later. Uh, just a small explanation and even Black Knight uh, explain what the neutrinos are. So they are uh, they are massless particles and they can these particles can go through anything and everything. So yeah, so to speak a little scientifically, it's the some small particles, very small that uh, don't interact much with matter. So these particles can go through matter. So that was the 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 scientific moment. Okay. So then we see that Wasp and Paladin go interrogate the the woman that was has stolen the yellow jacket's uh, outfit. Yeah, okay, so now that we learn that her name is Rita, and at the same time, we see a white-haired woman and the men enter the the room where they are currently interrogating Rita, and uh, the the two people reveal, reveal themselves to be screaming Mimi, who would later turn to be uh, um, Songbird from Thunderbolts and Gregor Goyle. So <laughs> you see that uh, when they start attacking, uh, instantly Screaming Mimi appear with the kiss makeup on her face. So <laughs> it's quite sudden yeah. because she was <laughs> she had a clear a clear face and suddenly she had the the, the makeup on on her eyes. So the villains escape with Rita, but they get caught with the help of Black Knights. And during this fight, we see that Rita has fled. So in the end, we see that Namor calls for help to the Avengers because they need he needs them to help to free someone. So at, the, at this time, we don't know who it is, but he tells them that it's urgent that they come to Atlantis. This is an odd-placed issue because we really feel like this Masters of Evil story is ramping up. Captain Marvel's talking to a police officer about all these villains, these random villains that are being broken out of jail and such are going missing. And then this happens, this the jailbreak scene with, uh, with Rita and screaming Mimi and stuff. And we think that the story is going someplace, but then all of a sudden it takes us in a completely different direction. Oh, we're going over to Atlantis. It's, uh, yeah, it just kind of throws you around a little bit for a few issues here. Just a small note that when Monica, uh, Captain Marvel is talking to Agent Freeman, he refers, Mr. Freeman, he refers to murder of criminals. And if I'm not mistaken, it's what happens during the scourge of Underworld storyline. So it's all covered in the justice he served uh, epic collection for Captain America. Um, Okay, well, coming up next here is Alpha Flight number 39. So this issue, Alpha Flight, was written by Bill Mantlo with uh, pencils by David Ross and inks by Will Portacio early in his career, too. And it's called The Invasion of Atlantis. And in this one here, um, Namor's cousin, Byra, I believe that's how you pronounce it, comes to Alpha Flight to get help to get uh, Marina or Marina back to back from Atuma. Now, all of these names, uh, <laughs> got to keep all of these Atlanteans straight. But uh, they eventually meet up with Atlantis, or sorry, with the Avengers in Atlantis and get in big trouble. And this this issue works in tandem with the next issue. They're both told simultaneously, so they eventually like we see things that happen here that we don't know what's going on, but then we find out in the next issue what's going on. Apparently, Marina, I think you pronounce it Marina and not Marina. I'm going to call it Marina. But apparently Marina um, is alive. She was thought to be dead. And this is the long-lost uh, wife of Submariner. 
but the issue uh, at the time, yeah, as you said, Bill Mantlow was writing instead of John Byrne because at the time they switched series uh, from uh, off of flight number 29 on Bill Mantlow started his run and then uh, because at the time uh, Bill Mantlow was writing Hulk just, uh, until the end of the um, Crossroads story arc and uh, then John Byrne uh, has taken over the Hulk series from uh, issue number two, 314 and on and he had a short run but yeah they didn't work out yeah. so well for John Byrne and there are lots and lots of recaps of older stories of Alpha Flight. And as I haven't read Alpha Flight... Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't need to go strange. into all of those because um, this is an Avengers episode. So should we ever get Alpha Flight Epic Collections, which I sure hope we do, we can talk about <laughs> more of those plot lines in those episodes. So, But let's, uh, yeah, let's keep focus on the Avengers here yeah. who really only appear in the last few pages but this is i guess the very first meeting of the avengers and alpha flight they have one big page where they're introducing each other and shaking hands so they haven't met before so this is kind of cool yeah. because uh the this issue happens at the same time at the uh, at the same time as avengers number 272 and i some one thing uh, i think i thought it was funny it's uh, when Alpha Flight and Avengers meet, they all introduce themselves. They are uh, they have a nice team dynamics, and they are very kind to both both uh, both teams have both kind to them uh, each other. And I think it's going to be a personal question, uh, Curtis. Uh, I think it's the Canadian hospitality to be kind <laughs> and introduce to Absolutely. each other. Absolutely. Yep. I, I yeah. think so. <laughs> but <laughs> and, but yeah, but really, I uh, I think it's not really an essential issue because it's well drawn. But if you read Avengers number two hundred seventy-two only, you don't lose much of uh, what was happening because you're also informed on what was happening at the time. The only thing you miss is the Avengers and Alpha Flight meeting for the first time. Yeah. That's that's probably the best part of this issue here, um, because yeah, like you said, you don't really miss a whole lot otherwise. You you kind of get through here. The Avengers meet up with Alpha Flight, and then they they kind of skip over that moment where they've done the the uh, the introductions with one recap that says shortly as the two super teams confer. So yeah, yeah it's uh it's it's really good. So yeah, why don't we move on to number two seventy two? All right, so uh, Avengers number 272 is uh, entitled Assault on Atlantis. So it's direct sequel of uh, last Avengers issue, number 271. And it happens at the same time as Alpha Flight number 39. So the Avengers go to Atlantis and on the way, Nemor tells the other Avengers uh, about Marina's past. So when the, uh, when the Avengers meet the other Atlanteans, there's a big fight. And at one point, uh, Namor confronts Atuma and he tells him that he's not uh, interested in reclaiming the throne, but he's only here to get Marina back. So Namor gets to comfort her and she turns out she gets quite cold to him. She reacts angrily to him. 
So uh, Namor decides to leave the Avengers for a while to reflect on his relationship with Marina and what has uh, happened in Atlantis. Yeah, there's. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed with this issue because there, it's it's kind of deceptive. It feels like there's a lot going on, but there actually isn't very much going on. It's it's basically a big fight, which is fine. I don't mind that, but I don't care about the Atlanteans, so I don't really care about this fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I did find it interesting, though, uh, that Namor changes his tune about um, about ruling once he finds out that Marina is is alive. Like all, you can see where his priorities are, and that he's he's a thoughtful person. Like he doesn't need to reclaim his throne now. All of his attention is going to um, helping Marina, and so he leaves the the Avengers at this point. Um, he goes off to tell his own story, and I I don't know. Is there another miniseries or something that um, because the John Byrne Submariner is not for a few years out still. That's not till like early nineties. I don't. Yeah, don't, I'm not sure if there is another series for Submariner at the time. So, but yeah. these two I come back. So. We'll see them in the next volume. They're not. They're not around for the rest of this book, but we'll see them again in the Judgment Day Epic Collection. Yeah, and uh, one thing that you can notice in this issue is about one of the characters in Alpha Flights. Uh, if you don't know really well the team, you see that one of the characters, uh, Box, is uh, a crippled person who has lost his legs and he fuses, he enters the, the robot and he fuses with the robot, but he can't stay long with the robot. So that's why uh, he has to, to, to get to the surface so he can be separated uh, for, uh, from the robot. Right. Well, I don't have anything else to say about this. This story was just a little underwhelming for me. Um, it might be my bias against Namor stories in general, but it was, uh, uh, for me, not the low point of this book, but certainly not the high point either. Yeah. Well, let's go on to annual number 15. This is um, a two-part uh, crossover between the two annuals, the East Coast Avengers Annual and the West Coast Avengers Annual. The, the first part is in, is in the East Coast Avengers Annual number 15. It's called Betrayal. And uh, Danny Fingeroth is writing, Steve Ditko gets the breakdowns in this with Klaus Janssen doing uh, the finished art. Yeah. And so um, you can really, really see Klaus Janssen's um, uh, style come through because he's got a very, very heavy kind of inking style, very, a lot of brushwork and such to the point where I don't even recognize a lot of Steve Ditko. If it weren't for like some of the poses, it doesn't look terribly like Steve Ditko. No, yeah, it's a very heavy ink by Klaus Jensen, and I'll leave the, my comments for the, the the end of the issue. But it's a very, very, very strange combination here because when we had, uh, I think in Avengers Annual number thirteen, you had uh, Steve Ditko on uh, breakdown and John Byrne and uh, the finish and. Uh, and the inks, yep. you could recognize Steve Ditko's art, but now it's much more Klaus Jensen looking than Steve Ditko. It really is. So this is um, a double size, a giant size issue, and but it, and it's so bogged down. I this was for me these two issues were the low point of this book. Um, I did not enjoy yeah. reading these. They were a, 
kind of a just a chore to get through. But basically, they're in the middle of a baseball game. I think, is this the first? This must be the first Avengers baseball game because the West Coast Avengers are a new team at this point. Yeah. But this is something that we'll see in a bunch of different annuals. We'll definitely see it again in the next one, in the Judgment Day book. They play a, a game of baseball, East Coast versus West Coast. And while they are there, the authorities come and arrest all of the Avengers. Is, uh, sorry, the Freedom Force comes as liaisons for the, from the government um, and arrest the Avengers. Apparently, they have done something wrong, but no one will tell them what it is. So eventually, they, they try to fight their way out of it, but Captain America makes a quick phone call and agrees, makes an agreement that they'll go peacefully. We find out that um, that uh, their old buddy, Gyrick, Henry Peter Gyrick, is the guy that's behind all of this. But we still don't know why. Big secret. My favorite part of this is finding out a little bit more about Spider-Woman, because she first appeared in Secret Wars and has is trying to figure out her place in the Marvel Universe right now, and she thinks it's with Freedom Force because she thinks they're good guys, but... Boy, what they are doing sure doesn't feel good to her. The, about Henry uh, Peter Garrick, he was the previous. I don't, I don't know if you say it in English. The, the liaison, the, the link. Yep, liaison. To, yep. The liaison between Avengers and governments. But now it's Mr. Sikorsky, the small guy with the, the glasses and the beard. Yeah. And also at the, you see Val Cooper. I don't know if she's appeared before in the X-Men series, but... Uh, yeah, she, she had, because she's been the person who's been um, involved with the Freedom Force in the X-Factor books, I think, as well. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, this isn't her first appearance, but the, the, there is a first appearance in this book. Do you know which what it is? Mm, uh, Sparrow? No, it's the no. first appearance of The Vault. The maximum security ah! prison for uh, for super super powered beings. They are they are at work building, and they that the first people to be imprisoned in the vault are the Avengers. Ah, yeah, you're right, you're right. There, there's something strange about the art because look at Captain America's faces. He looks like he's a psycho. He's always the flash of light uh, around his face, and he's he's drawn like he's. Kind, kind of angry guy ready to punch someone. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really strange the way he drums sometimes. And also uh, Avalanche, he looks a lot like Rom. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, very. I I had to. Uh, I did a double take at some points. Yeah, it's just. Uh, it's not the best. It's a little bit inconsistent and um, not as refined. The artwork in the West Coast Avengers issue is Mark Bright, and that's a lot better. Jeff Isherwood is doing the inks in that one. Do you want to take us through West Coast Avengers annual number one? Yeah, okay, so uh, just a quick note, at the end of the Avengers annual, everybody shouts vengeance, so now Avengers are avenging something. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. And they're going to avenge also uh, later, but okay, let's stick with the. I'm going to stick with the annuals. So there, the second part of this crossover uh, is a multi multi chapter issue. So uh, we have Steve Englehart on plots, as you said, uh, with uh, MD Bright, who also plots. 
and he draws and we uh, and the inks we have Jeff Isherwood and Jeff Isherwood also appeared uh, at the same I think some months earlier in the tour during the end of uh, Walter Simonson's run to to ink Sobushima's uh, art to give the it a, a more medieval feeling that's what uh, I, I thought at the time and uh, later he's going to draw um, uh, uh, John Ostrander's Suicide Squad at DC so uh, the first chapter is called One of Our Own so it's a direct sequel of, on what happened in the Avengers Annual so the Avengers escape the vault with the help of Spider-Woman and they flee away to a cave and they discuss and they try to list every Avenger that could have betrayed them. So we get to see what happened to uh, every Avenger. So what happened to the Thing, to uh, Firebird, to Moondragon. At the time, the, so they say she's supposedly dead at the end of the Defender series. Uh, so what happened to uh, Damon Hellstrom and Hellcat? What happens with uh, Miss Marvel, who is now, at the time, she's called Banary, and he's with the X-Men during the first uh, Brood saga. Uh, we see what happened to Star Fox. Uh, so he, he's away in space, and Hulk has been captured. Uh, Namor has just left the Avengers. Uh, the Mantis, uh, Jocasta, who is supposedly dead also, and Swordman also, who is dead. All of this, and at the end, we see that the, event, the, the supposed traitor appears by, its, by, by himself, uh, sparing the detective work. So it's Quicksilver, and he is very bitter towards the Avengers. So he says uh, something like, uh, it's not really what's written in the comic, so he, he tells them to, uh, to catch him uh, if they can. So he gives hints to the Avengers on where to find him. So he gives three uh, hints. The first is going to be the Avengers mansion. The second is going to be the circus. And the, uh, the circus where they have the first uh, adventures as Avengers. And third hint is going to be in Australia. So we move on. Uh, ah, yes, I forgot also. Uh, we see the, we have a funny scene with Thor and Hercules, and they try to. We have to see uh, every other Avenger that is not on active duty. So let me see. They're just taking a look here. Sorry. Oh, they they visit um, Jim Rhodes. Yeah, who had just also, retired being Iron Man for a little while. Yeah, because the uh, Tony Stark's Iron uh, armor has has been uh, driving him a little crazy in Daniel Neal's run. And yeah, She Hulk, who's on the Fantastic Four, um, and Reed Richards as well, who was on the Fantastic for, on the Avengers for a while. They visit um, Black Panther. Hercules visits Thor. Uh, and Captain America visits Falcon. And who else is there? Who's this guy? Uh, we see oh, the beast. oh, the Beast, right. He's in human yeah. form because of what's going on in X-Factor right now. He's lost his uh, furriness, and also he's getting stupider. Um, and then Black <laughs> Widow and Mockingbird, and, of course, Vision and Scarlet Witch. They meet all of the the Avengers. I, I, I actually really like this. 
And this is something that Steve Englehart does in all of his books, is he loves to dive deep into continuity and really pull out uh, all of these different characters. And so, like, there's just so many different references to other books of stuff that's happened in the past. The Thing, did you mention The, the Thing? They also uh, yeah, th- yeah. think about him as well. It, it, I, I really enjoyed the second half, this second half, much more than I enjoyed the first half. And Quicksilver's betrayal, um, this is something that Englehart continues uh, when he takes over the Fantastic Four in issue number 304. And I talk about that in the episode called All in the Family. Fantastic Four, All in the Family. Because as I haven't read these uh, issues myself, I uh, I avoid spoiling myself. So I listen after reading, so it's better for me. But ah, sorry okay, about that. Uh, take a listen. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. It's not really a spoil. I mean, we all know that that Quicksilver um, just is kind of a jerk for quite a long time. <laughs> but anyway, Quicksilver hires Zodiac, who is a who's a, a group of sort of um, artificial people who got created in the Defenders run. Yeah. So at first, uh, we have uh, we are introduced to a, a part of the Zodiac. So in every chapter, we are introduced to four members of the Zodiac. So it's not the characters from the Gold Knights from Senseiya, or as they are known in the, in the, in the USA, Knights of the Zodiac. So you're not going to see the knights with the gold armors, but... Uh, anyway, it was the the manga reference. Uh, so uh, we uh, so then we have a huge fight in the Avengers Mansion. Then after that, Quicksilver heads to Australia to brief other people from the Zodiac uh, gang. So we have a final fight in the in the Australian complex, and at the end. Uh, the Avengers uh, they manage to corner uh, Quicksilver and Vision appears and he shows Quicksilver how the twins he had with Scarlet Witch looks like then we see he Quicksilver looks quite uh, somewhat shocked and disturbed and he decides to run away. This is the first time that Quicksilver sees his nephew and his ne- his uh, or his uh, nephews yeah um, he hasn't met them before because he's kind of been avoiding his family. He doesn't agree with the relationship between Vision and Scarlet Witch. So I like their family dynamic. It's so it's very dysfunctional and it provides a lot of good stories. So something I noticed uh, during the fight with Gemini that is that Gemini looked uh, like a, a fusion between Hulk and Dove from DC because Hulk uh, on the, the the duo Hulk is the strong guy and Dove he's a small guy that is afraid to get in the fight so we see that jimmy at first is huge and impressive and he tries to fight and then after he switches to a more fragile persona and he tries to run away from the fight okay yeah that's it just to end on a, a funny note at the end of the issue hawkeye says that they have yet to finish the baseball game and everybody is throwing attacks at uh, Hawkeye because it's uh, out of place to speak of baseball game uh, <laughs> just after what happened. Yeah, I love the, I guess, just the team shot that's at the top there with all of the Avengers, the current ones that are not either in outer space or, or dead. Um, right there, the two teams together. 
it's a it's a nice shot. Well, let's move past these annuals. Let's get them out of the way. We're getting to the meat of the book here. This is where the story really ramps up. And coincidentally, it starts with Avengers number 273, the 25th anniversary cover with Black Knight in the middle here. Very nice. Who's draw? It's uh, Tom Palmer. And is it Tom Palmer, John Vicema drawing in the middle here? Yeah, the the same, same combo as the rest of the book, yeah. There's just some really nice shading on on that uh, on that cover there. Anyway, this issue is called Rites of Conquest, and uh, Hercules is trying to prove himself uh, to be um, stronger than everybody in the bar. Some nice dramatics there, but he's actually being manipulated by this guy that he's talking to, and the guy he's talking to happens to be the Wrecker. And yeah. we haven't seen this guy yet, but he's apparently involved with all this stuff with Moonstone and the new Yellow Jacket. And we find out that Baron Zemo is actually behind everything. He's he's getting the band back together, the Masters of Evil. And it's not just the Masters of Evil. Like, he's, he's bringing back all those guys plus the Wrecking Crew. He's bringing everybody into one team. He realizes that where one fails, the group should succeed and it's basically the same story as the sinister six in that in the very first amazing spider-man annual but uh yeah they, so they they all get together and prepare for their assault on the avengers mansion and the first thing that they do is they break in and kidnap jarvis and yeah. let's see i'm going to try naming all of the people who are on the masters of evil here there's a great page on page uh 344 Goliath, Moonstone, Titania, Absorbing Man, um, Pyro? Uh, no, it's uh, Pi- Pile Driver. Oh, Pile Driver. From the Wrecking Crew. Right, yeah. Pile Driver, Bulldozer, Thunderball, Yellow Jacket, Tiger Shark, Baron Zemo, Wrecker, Mr. Hyde, and uh, oh man, what's the guy with the lightning bolt on his face? I can't remember. It's uh, Blackout. Blackout. Oh yeah, Blackout. He plays a pretty big role pretty soon. And who's the guy in the shadow here? Ah, uh, the in the shadow. You mean ah, uh, the guy in the blue, blue and green uh, outfit? Yes. It's the fixer. Oh yeah, the fixer. The guy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So that's your team. That's a lot of supervillains all in one book, and they're all going to attack all at once. And the only person in the the mansion is Jarvis. And let me tell you, if I were Jarvis, I would be completely freaked out. Okay. okay, we can just uh, a small note. We can notice that Jarvis is reading a book, and on the cover of the book, it's written "Leave it to P. Smith." And I wonder if it's Paul Smith, the the artist that have, has been drawing X Men at the time. Uh, which which page is this on? Uh, the final pages, I think, is the. Oh yeah. Okay, I see. Yep. Leave it to P. Yeah. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it very well could be Paul Smith. Yeah. Uh, so there's this scene where Moonstone and Piledriver are kind of going at it, and and or sorry, um, Piledriver and Mister Hyde are going at it. And Moonstone tries to come between them. Mister Hyde just really angry, and then Baron Zemo comes, and all he does is put his hand on Mister Hyde's shoulder and says, "Calm yourself, my friend, my friend," and he calms yeah. right down. And this is to mirror the scene that I mentioned with Captain America calming down Namor. Oh, good catch. Proving that he's a good, that uh, Captain America is a good leader that everyone respects. Well, uh, Baron Zemo ha- does the same thing, but he has to use a tranquilizer that's hidden in his glove to calm down Mr. Hyde. So he's trying to give the illusion and trick people into thinking that he's a good leader when he's actually not. He has to resort to other things. 
Now you see that the Zemo that you see right now is a completely different Zemo than from the one from the end of uh, GM Zimate's run on Captain America. Because when you see him in the Captain America series, uh, in the uh, GM Zimate's run, he seems to be very scared of Red School, and now he see that he's a completely different person that tries to be uh, in charge and more uh, cool-headed right now. Yeah, definitely. This is the is he's the son of the original Zemo, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're moving to next issue. It's called Divided We Fall. So we see that the Black Knight comes back frustrated from a party he was with uh, Wasp. But when he gets in the mission, he gets punched. So at the same time, Captain Marvel gets called to the Avengers Mansion, but he, she's captured by Blackout. So Captain America goes to Wasp's house to inform, inform her that something is wrong with the Avengers. So she goes uh, as soon as possible to see what's wrong in the mansion. And she sees that Jarvis has been captured and Black Knight is, has been knocked out. So uh, meanwhile, you see that Hercules is back from a trip that he's been somewhat invited. So Captain America and Wasp ask him to see them because they're in this guy's van. But Hercules doesn't listen to Wasp because he's pretty much drunk. Even Captain America re re remarks that. So he gets angry, he goes to the mansion, and he gets beaten up. So uh, when trying to rescue him, Captain America is captured by the mansion defense mechanism, and Wasp barely manages to escape. Uh, at the same time, you see that the mansion is surrounded by a barrier, and uh, Hercules, he's ge he gets beaten to near death, and he's thrown away from the mansion. And now things try start to get really serious. Yeah, so this is the issue right here. That that's just like wow, they they're actually able to do it. The villains perfectly um, pulled off all of the, the 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 their huge plan that they were planning to do. It's it's quite it's quite amazing, but I mean that's just you know if the writer wants it to happen, it's going to happen. But <laughs> um, mm. but all of the pieces really play together. We have um, some people on the inside. We have Wasp on the outside. We have uh, Captain Marvel, where we don't know where she is at the moment. So we have all of the, the our our heroes positioned carefully in order to to figure out independently what's going on and then figure out how they can work together in order to take down the mansion. And at the very end of this issue, Hercules is spat out of this big black box that's covering the Avengers, Avengers mansion and uh, um, Wasp thinks that he's dead. So that was a brutal scene. Hercules. Yeah. So Hercules has um, he's got got a famous feud with Thor. They it's it's a friendly feud, but they they've fought in the past, and there is always the question of who's stronger, the the Greek god or the Asgardian god. Well, we have the Greek god beat up by four people who have Asgardian powers, because that's the Wrecking Crew's thing is that they have what do they call it, Norn power in their weapons yeah. and so yeah i think it's just uh there's this irony that he that hercules is beat to an inch of his life by asgardian powered bad guys and it's very brutal as you see the goliath is uh shaking him away at the walls so he's yeah it's very impressive yeah yeah it's very brutal in this issue also we have um the 
they they destroy the porcupine costume. It's just kind of a little aside. They see it in the hall. Um, some of the bad guys see it in the hall and they take it out. Um, the porcupine issue um, costume was put up in Avengers Mansion in Captain America 324 because porcupine gave his life to help Captain America in a battle once. And so they put it up to kind of honor him. And that was a great story, oh, a really good issue. And we, I talk about that one in the Society of Serpents episode as well. So you should check that out. Okay, I did, did it know. The porcupine costume is from Captain America 315. I think I said 324, it's 315. Uh, yeah. But Whirlwind and Captain America, that, that story that's told here, Whirlwind is using a, 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 is used as a diversion to keep Captain America away from the Avengers mansion. So that the event, so that the masters of evil can infiltrate, but that story between Whirlwind and Captain America is told in Captain America three twenty four. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, let's go on to the next one here. So the next one is Avengers number two seventy five, and it's called "Even a God Can Die." Uh, the cover is really cool because we get Ant Man, and this is the Scott Lang Ant Man that had been around for a few years by this point. Um, he's not yeah. an, a, an Avenger, but uh, he hears Wasp's distress call and comes to try and help. And so I love it. It's just, it's the return of Wasp, Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it's not the Ant-Man that we are used to. This is the issue where Jarvis uh, really gets beaten. It's just, it's brutal. It's savage. Mr. Hyde is given permission to just go to town and... It's just awful. A lot of most of it, it all happens off panel, but that kind of, in fact, makes it a little bit even more frightening. But uh, yeah, Hercules is taken to the hospital. He has a faint, um, I guess, a faint pulse, or they can't find a pulse, and so they think he's going to die, and they don't really know what to do with him because he is a god. But yeah, Wasp and Ant-Man have to try and find a way to defend the hospital because now the hospital is under attack by the Masters of Evil because they're just trying to destroy the Avengers. And so if the Avengers are at the hospital, that's where they're going. Meanwhile, Captain Marvel is trying to find a way out of the black void that she is in as well. And uh, yeah, this man, this was a really exciting episode because there are so many things going on. There are multiple storylines. All of these different villains are splitting up to accomplish different tasks and um, things are going on inside the mansion, at the hospital, outside the mansion, and it's just wall-to-wall, non-stop um, action and excitement. And it's like, what's going to happen? This, this was great. This was a great one. Uh, one. One note I want to say, though, on page number 389 in this collection, um, Ant-Man says to Wasp, the Absorbing Man bounced Thor around. We have as much chance of stopping these two as Spielberg had of winning an Oscar. <laughs> and I just want to make a note that this is 1987. And Spielberg did win Best Picture for Schindler's List in 93 and Best Director in 93. And then again, he won for Saving Private Ryan in 98. So... This is an out-of-date reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, it's, it's funny to see how they defeat Titania because uh, Ant-Man throws a, a canister of gas that turns her tiny, so they manage to, to defeat her at the end. Yeah. And now the, uh, you see that Zemo explained to Captain America how he survived because he was supposedly dead at the end of the death of Red School story arc. So now he sees that he is uh, uh, pretty much alive and 
to coin a phrase to alive and kicking. So, <laughs> uh, shall we move on to the next one? Okay. Yeah. So next issue is called Revenge. Now the Avengers are going to have to avenge uh, uh, to have another revenge. So uh, after the fight in the hospital, Ant-Man and Wasp they explain to the police what happened and they decide to go back to the mansion. And meanwhile, you see that Mister Hyde is still punching Jarvis, and now Cap is being shocked. Man, who will not be shocked to see the, the, your poor poor old servant getting beaten to death? To death. So uh, at the same times. Uh, the Black Knight is desperate for his sword, but his sword is under a barrier maintained by the fixture. So uh, Wasp asked the military men to let her try things her way. So Ant-Man managed to 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 contact the other Avengers, and you see that at the same time Captain Marvel managed to escape from the dark dark dimension, darkness force dimension, something like that, with the help of the Shroud. And you see someone who is going to be a huge player in the end uh, of the story arc. You see Dr. Druid appearing, and uh, Thor also appears, because they managed to contact him. So, And you see that they mention a small note, because at the time, Hela has put her spell on him, so he has... The, uh, the fragile bond, so every he's not as much uh, resilient as he usually is. So uh, the Avengers enter the mansion by digging a tunnel under under it. So they manage to get the light cut. So the barrier around uh, Black Knight's sword is off, and uh, Black Knight can get his sword back. So have another big fight. Uh, Doctor Druid goes to Avengers mansion and manages to re- disrupt. Blackout's connection with the dark barrier, and so the the military men can get to the mansion and try to help the Avengers. At the same time, Moonstone flees. Captain Marvel goes after her, and Moonstone uh, hits uh, Stonewall. Uh, I, I'm going to say quite uh, stupidly. <laughs> yeah, boy. So there's the one scene where. They're using where Wasp is using the radio at the beginning to try and contact other Avengers, and they say they're just saying where how everybody is not available. Um, they can't get through to Wakanda to contact Black Panther. Fantastic Four are out of town. Vision and Scarlet Witch are on vacation. Falcon has the flu, but it's too bad that they wasted their precious team up in, in the annual story because all of those people came. Uh, not the Fantastic Four, but all of the other Avengers came to help them out in that one. But they can't yeah. come out to help them this time when they need it probably even more. Yeah, this this was a good issue again. And I love that if you've been reading these, if you go back and flip through the pages of the previous few issues, the destruction of the mansion just gets greater and greater and greater as it goes along. It's a gradual destruction of this building and to the point where in the in the next issue, it's everything is just rubble all over the place. That's that's all it is. In this issue, we're just starting to see like the building's still intact, but you're starting to see like walls are broken and things are all over the floor. I just love how Busema has paced out the destruction of the Avengers Mansion just behind the scenes. Yeah, and uh, you see that the uh, Yellow Jacket uh, starts to realize that she she's an expendable uh, member of the team, so she starts to get her doubts about uh, Zemo's uh, um, intentions. And so I was reading this one here, this book here, and I'm like, oh yeah, Doctor Druid's in the next issue, uh, in the next volume, in the Judgment Day. 
I totally forgot yeah. about him, and he's on the cover, and here he is appearing now, kind of just out of the blue. He just appears. It's, it's kind of a weird. Um, he he has a weird role in this book. Yeah, but it's strange to see him appear out of nowhere if you just read this epic collection. But if uh, for the people who read the beginning of uh, Roger Stern's run, he he already asked for the Avengers' help to recover Black Knight that was a prisoner in, in another dimension. Okay, so yeah. we yeah. what you're saying is that we should not be reading these volumes in reverse order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of good and best strategy for Marvel because it allows Marvel to fill the gaps as we are seeing just now. Yeah. But at the same time, when you get to a consecutive uh, run, uh, things appear strange because uh, when you read in order, every some things make sense. But when you read out of order, of course, uh, you see things appear out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so there's a note that this story takes place between page 5 and 6 in Thor number 373. That is so specific, so specific. But I And I didn't check to see what happens in that story there, but I think at this yeah. point Thor is about to um, undergo some pretty drastic changes in his story. Yeah, I, I think it's the, uh, if I remember, it's the, in, during these pages you see Thor hit by a, a spell of by Hela. And that's when he gets a fragile body. Yeah, and so obviously he doesn't have that fragile body here because of the beating he takes from Goliath. Um, but yeah, so this is just before that. I don't know who notices that when Goliath is um, hitting Thor, Thor the flinches a, a little. I don't know if it's, it's in this issue or in the next one, but someone notices that Thor is not as strong as he uses to be. Oh yeah, I don't know that if that's in this issue. Yeah, I think I think it's in the in, in the next one, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Thor takes away the Norn power from the Wrecking Crew in this one, so they are rendered useless. Of course, they'll eventually get that back in some way or another. Um, but yeah, okay. You ready to move on to the next issue, the last one in this yeah, all right. book here? Let's go. Okay, number two seventy-seven. What? Oh, sorry, the price of victory. Um, so the only two villains left here. Um, in the standing in the way uh, to Zemo are Goliath and the Wrecker. And now that the Norn power is taken away from the other members of the Wrecking Crew, it actually has gone back into the Wrecker. So now he is way more powerful. And we have Goliath. And man, this is just everything gets destroyed in this issue. Um, there is some phenomenal artwork from uh, from John Buscema throughout this book. Just the 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 pacing, the storytelling. Everything is is top notch. You you can see that he and Tom Palmer have put everything that they have into this finale because every single panel is a masterpiece. Um, and so by the end of this one, Captain America and everybody hold it together and eventually stop the Masters of Evil. There's just not much more to that. Yellow Jacket kind of throws in the towel because she realizes that she's in over her head. Uh, Doctor Druid takes out. Blackout. Oh, and I've got a yeah. question about Blackout. If he, if um, Captain Marvel and Blackout and the and the Shroud all share access to the Dark Dimension, um, I wonder if also Cloak does from Cloak and Dagger. I wonder if Cloak also shares access to the the Dark uh -huh. Dimension. I don't know. 
Good question. And by the way, the, uh, Captain Marvel already encountered uh, blackouts at the beginning of Roger Stern run, also with an appearance of Shroud. Right. Okay. Yeah, this was uh, this was a, a heartfelt ending. The, it ends with Captain America facing Zemo again, which is you know always a callback to World War II days, um, even though this is not the same Zemo. But uh, Zemo falls off of a building and apparently dies, but we all know that that's probably not going to happen. And then the heart-wrenching scene at the end here is that Captain America, he's really upset because all of his pictures and his mementos from his past, from World War II days, they're all... They were all destroyed, and not just destroyed, but Zemo ripped them up in front of him. You know, the picture of his mother, the only picture he had of her, um, the stuff yeah. that he had of Bucky. Like, it's all, it has all been destroyed. And it's like, that hurts more than being punched in the face. It was a hard-hitting ending. Okay. So, uh, one question is, why doesn't Ant-Man join the team, the Scott Lang Ant-Man? He kind of just does his thing, and then he goes away. They they don't even offer him, it's like, hey, you should stick around and be part of the Avengers. Ah, yeah, you're right. I didn't notice it. Yeah. What do you think of this finale? Ah, uh, it's great. It's the uh, you have the fight until the end. Everything destroyed. The the final fight with with Goliath and Wrecker. No, it's it's really great. And uh, you see the scene at the the end. Uh, you see, Cap Captain America is a very simple man because. Uh, at the end of Secret War One, when he sees his shield destroyed, he tried to pick up the pieces of his shield, and he he's sad because his shield has, is somewhat somehow somewhat a uh, a part of him. So he he gets confident until the end that he is going to fix the shield. And now, uh, when he sees the the picture of his mother torn out. He also he sees that there's no no power to restore it, so it's all the more uh, of a uh, it's like they say a tear tear jerker. Yeah, these days we could scan in that picture and use Photoshop to put it back together and print off another copy for him. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I just noticed that the uh, the title of the issue is written in somewhat J uh, J esque uh, font. Oh yeah. Yeah, with the the letters in blue and the stripes, uh, the red and uh, red and white stripes, uh, the sides. Very true. Wow. So you know what? I don't know if reading this volume first makes the second the Judgment Day better, but I read Judgment Day first and then this one, and I don't feel like it ruined anything for me. So I'm I'm okay with having done that. But boy, now knowing what comes next and knowing how this battle shakes the the avengers to the core and seeing the repercussions and the fallout from it in the next volume is it's just like this is uh for those of you who haven't read anything past this book yet you're you're in for a treat um roger stern ends on a high note uh doing some really great stuff in the next volume yeah i agree but uh, is there are there bonuses on the the on the epic collection? Yeah, there are a few bonuses. Uh, there is a page from Marvel Age Annual Number Two, a couple of pages of a story of Baron Zemo spying on the Avengers and the Fantastic Four as they prepare for uh, their assault on the Avengers Mansion. He's in contact with Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom says, "No, you can attack the Avengers, but you can't attack the Fantastic Four. That's my job." 
Yeah. Typical of Doctor Doom. Yep. There's an introduction by Roger Stern from the Avengers Under Siege trade paperback. And um, it's actually pretty good. Um, there's some interesting stuff in there for you to read. Um, he does talk about about working with Kurt Busiek and his run a little bit later on and such. So um, you can read that. There's just a bunch of covers from the various different collections that have uh, come out because these, these stories have been collected in many different forms over the years. And there is a lot of um, original art from John Buscema and Tom Palmer from a bunch of different pages. They're kind of small because they're printed at four to a page. So the a lot of the detail is... Uh, is lost there but that's and that's too bad but they're there for what it's worth and that's it that is the avengers under siege epic collection well tommy what avengers are we going to tackle next i would be happy to go through 90s avengers with you yeah we could skip ahead to the collection obsession because there will be three volumes in a row at that point and we can yeah. just kind of go right through them. And I would love to have um, a special episode for Operation Galactic Storm where, where we bring in some of the other co-hosts because, you know, that story carries over a, a bunch of different books. Yeah. Okay. So you want to do them in order, the collection obsession, then Galactic, um, yeah, it's, uh, Galactic Storm. And, and then uh, Fear the Reaper, which isn't out yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that would be yeah. great. Yeah, all right. It, it's okay for me. Sure. Great. Well, then let's plan on that. Let's let I look forward to diving into some '90s Avengers with you. That should be fun. The collection yeah, the, and all, all of the Avengers wearing leather jackets. That's right. They're bomber style jackets. That's yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, but it's it's still it's still an, uh, good stories. It's not uh, yet the the crossing level stories. So oh yeah. Well, stay. we'll get there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks for joining me on this trip through Roger Stern's Avengers, Tommy, and uh and we will see you in the next the next time you're on the show. Okay, it's my pleasure. See you soon. <laughs>